Well, I'm going to read something from Matthew chapter 2. You probably know this passage well, but um, I'm going to start with this passage. In Matthew 2, it says, they had, they had just left Herod the king, and they went east till they came and stood where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. We just sang joy to the world. And when they had come into the house, now this is not the stable now. Jesus is not in the stable. He's now in a house. They came into the house. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they did what? They fell down and worshipped. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, <coughs> frankincense, and myrrh. I actually need my clicker there. Even though I stole her socks, she's going to help me out here. So, thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you again that we have a reason to be joyful. We have a reason to worship because you came and you're worthy of all of our praise, worship, adoration, and surrender. And Lord, I pray that you just anoint this time in your word for a few minutes as you've already anointed these songs, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Kids did great, didn't they? In Micah 5.2, it says this, But you, it's on the screen, Bethlehem, though you are little, among the thousands of Judah, all these other cities there in Judah, southern part of Israel, yet out of you shall come forth from me the one whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. I talked about this last two Sundays. This is different than you and me. We're not from everlasting. We're now moving to, once you're born, you will live forever, either in heaven or in hell. There's only two places, but this one is from everlasting, has no beginning. Big difference. Qualifier for, for Jesus, different than everybody else. Then in Zechariah 4.10, it says, For who has despised the day of small things? Small things, little things, seemingly insignificant things. God uses little things, doesn't he? If you're taking notes or just listening or just saying, Lord, what is it you want to speak to me? I've titled this Small Wonder, Worthy of Worship. We just heard from these little children singing and getting off the stage and back on the stage and singing and... <laughs> And knocking things over, and I think our volunteers need a raise, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you saw all this going on, and, but their little voices, their little bodies, but they had a message of hope and salvation that echoes through all of time, all of space, all of eternity. They may be small, but the message that they were singing is massive. And the starting point, from the spotlight of the world's perspective, it, the starting point was small. The world's cameras were not on Bethlehem. To give it a modern Facebook analogy, the birth of Jesus would have only had maybe generate a few likes. Mary, Joseph, a couple of shepherds, 
No big deal. Same with Instagram, same with Twitter. The news and the reporters, no interest at all. Rome was like New York City, though. Washington, D.C. All the center of attention was on Rome. And historically, if a king is born, that's a really big deal. And if the king of kings is born that night in Bethlehem, that should be a big deal, but it meant nothing to a sleeping, unaware, and even if they had been aware, a preoccupied world. Sounds a lot like us today, right? Sleeping, preoccupied, not all that interested, even when we do know the story. Well, to be sure, God could have. He could have made the incarnation of Jesus large, couldn't he? Oh, yeah, he could have made it like the sun shining at midnight. He could have set the moon on fire. Anything God wants to do, he could have done. Simultaneously visible around the world. But the coming of the promised Messiah, as the world measures big news, was a non-event. Small, little, out of view from 99.9999% of humanity. To add to that, the Messiah himself would come small. Most of you have held a baby. You at least once were a baby, right? Can't hold yourself. Someone else was holding you, right? But he came small. He came helpless. He came vulnerable. A tiny baby in a tiny town to a young couple with no name recognition, no power, no pull, and a small amount, if anything at all, in the way of financial means. Matter of fact, the coming of Jesus is quite different than the extravaganzas that are happening all around the world to celebrate. Nothing like it. God promised that a child would be Born. We talked about this on Sunday. Not a man suddenly appearing. God could have done that. Jesus could have suddenly appeared and walked on water instantaneously. That, that could have been the way he entered. But even the faithful believers, those that understood the scriptures, those that understood the prophecies, they would not have imagined that the Messiah would be born in a small, humble, dirty stable. That would not have been what they thought. But the love and humility of God is, let me say that again, the love and the humility of God is in itself awe-inspiring, or it should be. Maybe even more than his infinite power in just speaking galaxies into existence. The entire universe. And then holding it, the Bible says he holds it in the palm of his hand. Not just the sun, not just the Milky Way, not just all the galaxies, the entire universe. We have a hard time humbling ourselves to give up one car length in traffic. I was there first. I know I was. And you purposely didn't look in my direction and to act like you didn't see me. There's a little bit of pride constantly in us. Our inborn pride, inborn 
Pride and selfishness is so opposite of God. We know the name. Emmanuel means what? God with us. But for God to lower himself, submit himself in the person of Jesus Christ to descend to the limitations of a human body, to be born needing the care of two parents that he created. Two parents that he created and he gave life to. For him to lay among the animals that he designed, no matter how, I love animals. You ever see an animal, no matter how cool you think it is, God designed it. Shape of an elephant, shape of a giraffe, even the bizarre hyena, all these different things, you know, camels. But he's among all these animals that he created, he designed, formed out of nothing. It's mind-boggling that he submitted himself to this. Someone was going to have to take care of these early formative months and years. It's like you and me choosing to be an ant. But many, many times worse than that, because there's actually no, not a bad scale, there's no scale we can actually use to measure us against infinite. Do you understand that? Even the universe can't be measured against God. Infinite. And then he's perfect. And then he's holy. C.S. Lewis once said, the power of the higher just insofar as it is truly higher to come down, the power of the greater to include the less, that would be us. Everywhere the greatest enters the little, Jesus entering into the small frame of a, a child, its power to do so is almost the test of its greatness. I wouldn't say almost. I would say for sure. Not the only test of Jesus' greatness. There's many evidences of Jesus' greatness, but this is one of the greatest of the greatest. Jesus, 33 years from that opening night in Bethlehem, 33 years from the opening night in Bethlehem, would later say of his life, one of my favorite passages that Jesus speaks of right here, John 10, 18, he says, of his own life, he says, no one takes my life from me. This is totally different than you and I. No one can actually take Jesus' life. There's people that could kill you, run into you, die a million different ways. Nobody could actually take Jesus' life unless he allowed it. Totally different than us. We can't prevent anyone from taking our life. But Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. But what does he say? I lay it down. I lay it down. And I have the power to lay it down. Here's the great part. The power to raise it up. It takes great power to lay the life down. So as we travel in our minds back to Bethlehem on the night of Jesus' arrival, his advent, which again in the Latin means coming, his coming to the earth that was, he came to the earth that was actually his footstool according to the psalmist. Think about that. You lowering yourself to the wash pot. The earth was actually his footstool according to the psalmist. And let's try and appreciate once again, the humility. 
the glory and the power it took for our Savior to take the form of a man, to take the form, you know, if again, whether it was an ant or a slug or a worm, the best we can conjure up, but again, it, there's no scale for it. And his lowering himself as a small baby was just one step in laying down his life where? At the cross. The baby was just one step in that 33 years of steps. That step was for all the other steps. That's God getting your attention there. So, How's that for uh I said the cross, and it went boom. Nothing else. You'll remember it. And though the world was focused on other things and still is, matter of fact, even the celebration, think about it, even the celebration of his birth that actually bears his name, Christ Mass, Christmas, is no longer about him to many people, to uh, quite a few people, probably the majority of people, it's no longer about him. Even Christians can't find time for Christmas Eve services anymore. Less and less. I talked to other pastors all over, and, and people are finding less and less. I, I don't really, really need the reason to worship. Or it's less and less about him. But as it was then, with the world rulers and leaders promising prosperity and happiness, they were looking for more leaders rather than a sin and death conquering Savior. See, that's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to say, I'm going to give you all a bunch of stuff. He wasn't like Santa. He said, I'm going to deliver you from a bunch of stuff that's weighing you down, that is what you're born with, and that's a sin debt we can't pay. And that is why the angelic host, uh, I didn't read from uh, Luke's gospel, but you know the story in Luke's gospel. The, the shepherds are out there, and out of the blue, one angel appears, and then a little bit later, there's an angelic host. That's why they appeared to these lowly shepherds. Heaven was aware. Heaven was fully aware. We talked about Gabriel on Sunday. Gabriel was the one that came to Daniel and gave him the 70-week prophecy. He came and delivered the news about John the Baptist. He came and spoke directly to Mary about the coming of Jesus. We know heaven was aware that this small baby in this small town was the promised and perfect sacrifice for the trillions upon trillions upon trillions of sins that have com been committed in the history of mankind. Just tonight, there's at least 7 billion sins on earth being committed. A lot of people on earth. Trillions of sins that Jesus, one little, one little baby that would become a man 33 years, his blood would be enough for all of it. Yet he was also, he wasn't just a sacrifice, he was also the promised what? Ruler. That's why the, the Magi were bowing down. They, he was the promised ruler of the throne of David. That's why he had to go to Bethlehem. That was the city of his lineage. He was both the Lamb and Lord. He was both the Messiah and monarch. This is why God placed a star in the sky that those astronomers, and they were also scholars from the east, we refer to them as the Magi, but they would travel following this to a young child that they knew was a king. They were convinced he was a king. I believe they don't. I personally believe that they actually were descendants from the uh, ministry of Daniel and were all also studying the scriptures. 
You see, as they came to see this little baby, they understood that small seeds become giant oaks, giant sequoias, giant redwoods. And the same but exponentially greater work would happen in the life and the kingdom of Jesus. He said his kingdom would flourish. But first, according to the will of God the Father, and necessary for our sin and, and for the curse of death and the judgment of hell, if we didn't repent, he would have to start small and he would have to go low according to God's plan. It wasn't that we designed it that way. That's the way God said it had to be. And he submitted to the will of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit, the three in one in full agreement. Later, he would go even lower, though. I mentioned the cross, but the depths of the cruelty of the cross. I mean, you think a manger's bad. A cross makes a manger look like a vacation, doesn't it? Why? All to save our souls, not to fill our stockings. Save our souls. So for the shepherds to bow down, for the wise men to bow down and prostrate themselves, as we see there in Matthew chapter 2, for them to worship was the, was the right response. It was actually even to follow in the very footsteps of Jesus, because if Jesus humbled himself, shouldn't we humble ourselves? And yet the very response is also worthy of the king of kings. All kings, you know, you, you kind of have to be subject in their presence. Jesus is well worth that as our Savior and as our King. And as they came into the presence of Jesus, he was, by the world's ignorance, and I don't mean like ignorance of uh, purposely ignorant, although that happens too, but they did, the world didn't know this was happening. By the world's ignorance, they might have thought a nobody was a nobody, but these but these magi, they thought this potential nobody was everything. They thought he was everything. See, we get it all backwards. We think things that are nothing are big things. And things that are eternal have little value. Don't you think we do this sometimes? We, we actually put great value on things that don't really have any eternal value at all, much less sometimes even a temporal value, and the things that actually have great eternal value, we, we assign very little value to it at all. I see the commercials. You've seen them on, you know, if you watch any TV or sports or whatever else, I see the commercials. They come around every time this year. Santa is driving a brand new Mercedes <laughs> into the driveway with a gigantic bow that's actually nicer than any bow you've ever seen before. And uh, he is not giving the Mercedes. He's selling the Mercedes. <laughs> right? I've yet to see Santa just giving these things out. But he's selling the Mercedes with this giant bow on top to a person who already has almost everything they need, if not everything they need, and a whole bunch of stuff they don't need, which we would call wants. But Santa says, in the commercial this, you, you really need the newest $80,000 Mercedes to enjoy the holiday. But if Jesus said to the same person, hey, hey, I've got a question for you. Jesus comes to that same person, says, you're about to take the vehicle. 
I've got a question for you. Here's my old beat-up Bible. If Jesus said, I'm going to give you this old beat-up Bible or that $80,000 Mercedes, but you can only make the choice one time, which will you take? Well, the Mercedes has an owner manual, leather seats, maybe a 500-horsepower engine, all this stuff. But Jesus, you get one choice. You take the car or you take this beat-up Bible. But in the beat-up Bible is all that you need to know for eternal life. I can tell you, as sure as I'm sitting here, I would take the Bible in a second. The car isn't even... We had a 63-car pileup on Sunday while we were having... The car isn't guaranteed to make it out of the lot. But your soul, trusting in what's in the Word, will make it all the way to heaven. Amen? It's not even a close call. But yet we'll assign, uh, we'll assign all this value to something that really doesn't have all that. God said, it's a bunch of parts that I created in the earth. It comes from cows and iron ore and all the stuff that I put there. But my son is irreplaceable. Amen? The gospel's irreplaceable. The car will give a few weeks, maybe a month, maybe a few years of enjoyment if you're really fortunate. The scriptures contain the gospel and eternal life and God's wisdom for living now. The joy to the world was given to shepherds, not kings. They didn't have any money, but they had joy. Which would we choose? Which will we choose? Which are we choosing to give our worth to? When we say worth, you know, worth and worship are very closely related. The reason why we worship something is we assign it worth. If you think Jesus is worth bowing, then you'll bow down before him. If you don't think he's worth bowing, then you'll bow down to your career or this or that, but you won't bow down to Jesus. The, what, the Magi left everything. It took a chunk of time. It took time out of their life. It took a uh, sacrifice, but they brought all these gifts and they presented them to him. And it's the same why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, if you do these things for the least of these, you've done it unto me. The same principle now applies. We actually give, we apply worth to give of our time, talent, and treasure to him because he gave everything for us. Worth, something that's worth is something that, worth something is something we worship. So if Jesus is worth it all, he's worthy of the worship, isn't he? He alone is worthy of the worship. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we'll just, we'll close in prayer. But as you bow your heads, I, you know, I, I don't know uh, what you know about the gospel uh, I don't know what you think about Jesus. I, don't, I mean, I know some of you. Some of you I know really well. Some of your faces that are visitors, and I don't know you that well. I don't know what's your background. Of, but here's the question. Jesus does ask. He doesn't always ask in a Mercedes verse of the Bible, but he does ask the simple question, do you believe in me or do you believe in yourself or something else? And if you've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior, I just want to give you the opportunity. I mean, you can do it any time, provided that uh, God gives you those times. But I, you're here tonight and say, I, I, want, I want to ask him to be my Lord and Savior. I want to humble myself and bow before him and ask him to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you with your heads bowed, just raise your hand. I want, to, I want to lead you in a prayer. If you're here tonight and you want to give your life to Christ. The whole, this is, what I'm talking right now is the whole reason he came. Not about Christmas gifts, not about other stuff. I like those things, but that's not why he came. He came to save. He said his, himself, his, his very word said, I came to seek and save those who are lost. That's what he said. That's what he said. That could be 
emblazoned on any Christmas card, and it would be more accurate than many other things. But that's why Jesus came. Anyone at all? Well, let me pray with us anyway. Lord, we bow before you. And Lord, we want to recognize that just like the Magi, we should bow our lives in submission to you. Because they recognize that Emmanuel, God with us, was in their presence. So, so we bow before you now. Lord, forgive us if we put other things in front of you. Lord, help us to assign the worship worthy of your name. Thank you for coming. Thank you that you came to seek and save that which is lost, which is all of us. Thank you for saving me 24 years ago, 1995. My wife and I on the same day, thank you for your grace. Lord, Christmas means so much more to us now knowing you than it did before we knew you. And I pray that anyone here doesn't know you, they would not leave this place, this night, at least this year, without surrendering to you and receiving the gift of salvation. For you are the greatest gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.